Hello strangers and welcome to episode 44 of Strangers in a Cinema, a podcast about films. Uh, I am Paul Anderson, no not that one, or that one, but this one, that was good when it peaked, did you like that? I did like uh, that. With my friend and yours, Pete Wall, we've already introduced by saying Pete earlier, so apologies Pete, how are you? It gets slicker by the week. <laughs> um, I'm really happy to be back man, really happy to be doing this show, we've got loads and loads to talk about this week as ever, but I think even a little bit more than, than usual perhaps. Maybe not the biggest feature releases that we've got for this week, but definitely fun ones I think to talk about. We're going to be talking today about both Baywatch, uh, the big screen debut of that early 90s TV series, and also War Machine, which is a Brad Pitt vehicle that's gone straight to Netflix, which sounds like sort of a damning comment, but shouldn't necessarily be. We've also got all the regular parts of the show. That would be uh, the in the foyer section where we talk about something from the world of films. This week, we're going to have a little bit a bit of a chat about uh, Cannes, the Cannes Film Festival ongoing at the moment. When it gets to popcorn movies, both of us are going to trade movies that we've seen recently. And in the last... Oh, sorry, I've almost missed something. Coming attractions, we're also going to preview a film each that's coming up soon. After we finish with features, we're going to set homework as always, where both Paul and myself tell each other what we have to watch in the next seven days, whether we like it or not. But yeah, uh, looking forward to getting into it, man. And we, before the show, we decided that we wanted to talk a little bit about the Cannes Film Festival and what's going on there at this point. At the time of recording, they haven't decided the Grand Jury Prize. I, I think I'm correct in saying. Yes, I think every, I think all by the Grand Jury Prize has now been awarded, I think. Certainly the Palme d'Or, I believe, unless I'm, no, I'm pretty confident this is correct. The Palme d'Or did go to the square by, is it Ruben Ostland? Yeah, Ru Ruben Ostland. If I mispronounced um, his name, then apologies. Li listeners to this show should know that he's the director of uh, Force Majeure, which is a film that I really, really loved. And I think Paul liked yeah, quite, quite, I, quite a lot. It's one of those few films that I kind of normally I'm fairly in tune with a lot of critically acclaimed films, um, and this one I liked enough, but didn't blow me away in the same. I don't think it had the same impact on me than it did on you. To I, be honest, yeah, I, I think with, without getting too much into that film, I think it was just because it was such a. I found it such sort of a, an amusing and um, well handled study of sort of fragile masculinity and like the way that that men sort of lie to themselves and the people around them. So yeah, I found that um, really, there's so much to like about that film. So I'm really excited to see this. Although as you commented, I think on our social media this week, Paul, <laughs> we'll probably see it in about a year's time when we actually get like a Blu-ray release or, or whatever it might be of that. Yes, because I can't, I can't see it going wide in UK cinemas to be honest, but congratulations to uh, congratulations to Ruben uh, for winning the Palme d'Or. I thought it might, might Hanukkah might win it for a third year in a row, for a third time in a row. Obviously he hasn't with, been there three with, years in With the most ironically named of films a happy ending yes. which uh, is definitely not going to have which a happy from what ending, I've read apparently know. is a little bit heavy handed as opposed to a lot of his earlier work so I'm looking forward to seeing that and what else won, what else picked up awards yeah, that although aware of I was just going to say like in his earlier work sort of heavy handed in the sense that he just is punching you repeatedly in the face yes. until you can't take any more but yes. yeah I know, I know what you're getting at um, and what else yeah I wanted to mention a couple of other things in the Un certain regard section of, nice, the, nice. of the festival. It's kind of a sidebar where they give um, a, an outlet, I suppose, to some films that might not fit into the main competition um, as as comfortably as others. Uh, the winner in that section was a uh, film directed by Muhammad Rasulov. Uh, this film's called Lerd, A Man of Integrity. There's the subtitle, although I've seen it on the internet also called Dregs, so I'm not sure what the title's going to be on, on sort okay. of general release or the limited Dregs release. sounds like something I'd watch, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. It sounds like straight from the You'd exploitation bargain basement. Yeah, a box set of the Dregs films. Yeah, yeah. on next week's show, Paul uh, <laughs> reviews Dregs 5. Back in the Dregs. Um, 
Yeah, this is a, a film that tells the story of corruption and the way that corruption affects a man and his family in, I believe, Iran. The, the film director is Iranian. And I also am led to believe that this film was actually made in secret um, f because of the restrictions that exist, I suppose, within the, the country. So okay. I'm interested very much so to see. I remember that movie, um, this is not a film or this is not a movie where the guy had to film it all on his yes. cell phone I haven't seen it, it but yeah film. yeah so um very interesting if nothing else and we'll wait and anticipate some sort of a release for that probably online I would imagine um the other thing to sort of draw attention to is the winner of best director at Cannes was awarded to Taylor Sheridan Taylor Sheridan is the guy who came to prominence as the writer of both Sicario and Hello High Water amongst other things um, he's scooped this award for his directorial debut. Um, the film's called Wind River. I actually previewed it on a coming attractions that we did, Paul, um, if you remember, oh, a few months back, I think. And one of the hooks here was Taylor Sheridan. Another one was that I still am kind of holding on to this hope that Elizabeth Olsen can actually make good choices. And it seems <laughs> like she has done that here. Um, she stars opposite um, Jeremy Renner. He plays a game tracker. She plays an FBI agent. And they're on the trail of a killer of a Native American teenage girl in Wyoming. All sounds fairly up my street, not the killing of teenage girls. And with that cast, there might be a chance we get to see it as well. Well, yeah, nice. precisely. I mean, that's that's the exciting thing, I suppose, about the accolades given to films like this, is it might push them to a, even a wider audience than otherwise might be expected. And I think Joaquin Phoenix won Best Actor, didn't he, for a, what is to be a very hard-hitting um, revenge thriller, I think. Is that uh, right? Very much in the vein of Taxi Driver. The title of the film has completely escaped me now. Um, Look it up. But yes, we'll look it up and come back to that. Um, the other thing then, moving on from Cannes, while we try, desperately try and look up the title of the film that I should have remembered, so apologies listeners. Um, I don't know if you saw, Pete, that this week there has been a bit of an outcry um, due to women's only screenings of Wonder Woman appearing in US cinemas. Yeah, I was. you made me aware of this actually, that this was a thing and that there was an outrage about it. So uh, first of all, what, why do you think this is a thing? And secondly, do you think there should be any outrage? <laughs> I just I don't understand why I I don't I don't have a, a massive problem with it I don't really I don't have a massive problem with it I suppose I don't really understand the need to have women's only screenings of Wonder Woman it makes me think maybe I can kind of see the argument and maybe why isn't there male only screenings and if there was male only screenings I would say they'd probably be quite a bit a bit of a fuss kicked up as comparatively to women's only screenings. Um, what do you think, Pete? Where do you stand on this? Yeah, I mean, I suppose the the rationale is that there's going to be a certain part of the fan base that is going to attend something like Wonder Woman from a sort of leery perspective, the kind of teenage boy set. And maybe there is a female audience who doesn't want to be um, surrounded by those kinds of viewers when they're enjoying their superhero movie, right? Mm, um, but I, they're I, enjoying a superhero movie that is a fa that is famously now a genre, I would say infamous for its um, gratuitous male shirtless scenes. Right. So. <laughs> right. And then funnily enough, um, I, yeah, so I don't know, like whatever, if people want to do this, is but probably part of the uh, appeal is that it creates a fuss and then, and that generates interest in whichever mm. cinema outlet you happen to be running so I, I would sort of be as cynical as to think that might be part of the reason but I mean I remember or when you told me about this it reminded me of um, going to see Magic Mike XXL which although it was not a female only screening <laughs> it essentially was I think I was one of about four guys in a like one of the main screens a really big screen and um, yeah quite quite the experience I mean 
about 50 to 60% of that um, that audience was sort of near paralytically drunk, I think, by the time the film got to its end. But th there was an atmosphere. Uh, for good or bad, th there was an atmosphere. With Wonder Woman, yeah, I, I think my hope really is just that that film does quite well because, you know, having a female director and a, and a female action star in tandem is something that we haven't seen very often at all. So um, I hope for good things from it. And it is coming out this week. So yes, so we'll be that. featuring that next week, I would imagine. Absolutely. Um, before we move on to popcorn movies, um, yep. You Were Never Really Here, I believe, is the title of the film that Joaquin Phoenix won Best Actor for at uh, Cannes 2017. Beating so, off. Our Pats, I believe. Yes, who I think was rumoured quite strongly to be a favourite for winning it. But um, yeah, it's an exciting time of year, Can It's just disappointing, um, and I'm not going to labour too much on this, moaning about stuff not getting a good wide release. But it's all, yeah, it's an exciting time of year, but it's almost disappointing that a lot of the stuff featured at Can then tends to get forgotten um, further down, well, sort of in the following months. Just just get me a release of Okja. I mean, that's my, my first... Well, it is go coming to Netflix, isn't it? So oh, of the, course it is. Maybe on Netflix yeah, yeah, yeah. in the month, so that's fine. So we're okay there. Yeah, true. Um, but yeah, it's just a bit disappointing you have to wait so long for it to come onto Blu-ray. Although, or although we, or... we kind of had this discussion before, but like something like Okja, a bit of a shame that we're probably not going to get any kind of cinema-sized release of that. Yeah, right? but we wouldn't, have, but we wouldn't works, have done anyway. Right? perhaps yeah no you're probably right yeah, you're probably right like the yeah. Snowpiercer example we mentioned but anyway yeah. yes. not to labour that point let's get into the next section the next section as you might know is popcorn movies where Paul and I step to the popcorn counter we take some popcorn <laughs> in the form of a film review and then we sort of throw it all over you Paul, what have you got, first of all, at the popcorn counter for this week? Right, the first one I've got here, and apologies for the long-winded title, but I'm going to go with the full title of the film, which is... Are you ready for this? Yeah, I think so. The, the Yakuza Papers, Volume 1, colon, Battles Against Honour and Humanity. Or Battles Without Honour and Humanity, sorry. I've said the title wrong. Yeah, confusing. I feel like they sort of belaboured the point there. They could have just gone for Yakuza Papers 1, no? Well, or they may, may well have done, yes. They may well have done. This is um, a, I believe, film from the 1960s, directed by Kinji Fukusaka. I think it's 1974. Fukusaka, Paul, is it 1974? Did yeah, you look it up earlier? Yeah, I looked it up via okay. your, your deal. I think it's 1974. Okay, that would, that would make more sense. So I've obviously done my homework when I watched it. I only watched it this morning, in fact. Um... So yeah, it's an old school Japanese Yakuza film that um, when I did a bit more reading about it, I think is kind of held in some regards as kind of like the Yakuza equivalent of the Godfather films. Mm. Um, it's the first in a set of five films. Um, so it promises to oh, be something strap of strap yourself in, listeners. Yeah, it promises <laughs> to be something of an epic. Um, and you'll be pleased in the listeners that I do have the box set, so you will Thank be getting God. reviews. Of, Thank God, I thought we were only going to get of, one. Of all the other films. Um that being said, though, I really, really enjoyed it. I thought it was, I thought it was fantastic. Um, the the level of sort of plot twists and betrayals and double crossing and that kind of thing, and the amount of people that get introduced and then killed off, um, you really have to keep your wits about you when you're watching this. I think it being subtitled makes it a little bit harder to follow. And if you even look away for a moment, and there was a couple of moments where I looked away. And I went to make a squash or make a drink or whatever. And then I've come back and I needed to rewind it because I'd, I'd missed something key mm. in the dialogue. So it, it moves very, very fast. It's very, very fast paced. Um, the characters are awesome. Um, there's some very cool, cool gangster characters in there. Um, and I really liked it. I really, really enjoyed it. And I'm very much looking forward to watching the rest of the series. So, so you're jumping in full series. Yes. You're going full series. Yes. Do you think you're going to do this sequentially week on week? Like I think I might do, yeah. So we yeah. might get Yakuza to... Yeah, search for the end of the. I haven't dropped in the Phantasm series, which I've now finished as well. So you've, I've, you know, I've given you a break. Eh? I've given you a break on that one. Uh, no, and interestingly enough, on the um, 
on the Blu-ray as well, there was um, Takashi Miike talking about how much um, the director had inspired his work and that kind of thing, and he had actually remade one of these director's films um, as part of the... Uh, as one of the ten films he made in a, any particular given yes, year. Yes, right? I didn't realise how many films he'd made. Yeah, but yeah, so um, yeah, it's a, he's a very influential Japanese director, and I would urge anyone with any interest in crime films um, to check these out. Cause yeah. Well, certainly check the first one out, because it was awesome. No, it so, sounds cool. When I yeah. saw your, your write-up on Letterboxd, actually, I was completely unaware of the series. And, and now I know a little bit so yeah I, I'm keen because I went through a stage of like watching a lot of Japanese Yakuza type movies some years ago and so I'd like to get maybe back into some of those so this seems like a good entry point um, what do I have first I can oh well um, you didn't go with homework this this first time so I won't either um, I will go with uh, my review of a film that actually I know you've seen as well Paul Miss Sloan mm. Miss Sloan, I've caught up with um, after it's left the cinema, but um, this is, as you're, I'm sure, aware, um, Jessica Chastain. Um, she plays the uh, most highly regarded lobbyist on the Hill, whose job it is essentially to um, turn everyone to her will and whim um, through her connections and influence in um, the very highest echelons of American politics. And she does this with a sort of um, dedication that goes beyond what I think any other human being could probably manage to the point that she's actually taking pills in order to allow herself to stay awake pretty much 24 hours a day so that she can get more done, get the jump on her opponents and always be one step ahead. And it turns out the film is essentially about that, isn't it? Um, did you like this? I liked it enough. I think her performance, as a lot of the reviews have said, I think her performance, um, Jessica Chastain, that is, is fantastic. I think she um, she plays it very well, and her character is, is incredibly watchable. Yeah, um, yeah, it had a lot of um, the feel of her performance in Zero Dark Thirty, I think, in, yes. in the way that she is absolutely committed to the cause, and, and she'll go the extra mile to And the most violent year as well, I thought. It, it was a lot of echoes of her performance in that as well, um, which which is a good thing. I do, I do rate her as an actress. Um, the rest of it, though, I just thought was a fairly average to be honest I think because stuff like House of Cards is out there and I just think that the rest of it had done had been done a lot better many times before which I think is a shame really mm. yeah I, I, it's funny that you mentioned that because when I was watching this with my um, girlfriend she we had to pause the film a couple of times she was saying what are they talking about because if you haven't gone through your initiation with like House of Cards West Wing and yeah. that kind of stuff then it really can leave you behind the first sort of 15 to 20 minutes is pretty unforgiving sort mm. of fast paced sort of Aaron Sorkin light uh, dialogue yeah. just kind of machine gunned all over the place about various in interests and conflicts and the NRA and the NSA and all this stuff um, and so we had to stop and sort of try and uh, piece our way through through that stuff but yeah, in the end, I come down in a fairly similar position to you, Paul. I think that um, Miss Sloan clips along nicely on the strength of the performance of, of Jessica Chastain until it gets to sticking the landing. And I don't think it quite manages to do that. And unfortunately, I came out of it thinking about um, a superior film, which is Michael Clayton. The yes, George, I would agree George with that. George yeah. movie. Um, is, I really like Michael With Tilda Swinton and, and really like Tom, Tom Wilkinson particularly good in that. And... Yeah, I think it's so difficult to do this level of um, sort of high stakes political intrigue right over the course well, of... Well, Ides of March was also superior, I think. Yeah, although I, I found Ides of March to be a bit a bit tiresome at times. But, but I, I guess I placed them, yeah, in a, in a similar ballpark. So it's mm. a good touchstone for, for this film. 
yeah, th there's stuff to like about it. Like you said, she's really good. She's got enough sort of vulnerability about her to work in the way that like someone like Claire Danes does in Homeland, I, I guess, loosely speaking. Um, in the end, though, I think it it takes a couple of narrative decisions that'll have you pulling your hair out a little bit um, agree with in, that, yeah. in the last third. But yeah, that's Miss Sloan. It's uh, directed by John Madden. Um, I'm sure you're well aware has directed some fairly mainstream stuff uh, over the last sort of 10 to 15 years of his career. But yeah, check it out if any of that sounds interesting. Paul, what have you got next? Um, I've got up next, um, again, this is, we, we talked about um, Solaris last week where people have got gaps in their film knowledge and films they haven't seen and perhaps should have done. Um, and I, so I decided to fill one of these gaps by seeing 12 Angry Men, Pete, which is a Sydney Lumet effort from 1957, um, which is, for those of you unaware, which I imagine is no one, um, is it's basically set um, in the immediate aftermath of a trial where the jury have to decide whether a man is guilty of murder or not. Um, and Henry Fonda uh, is the only man in the room who believes he is innocent. And the whole film is set in the jury's deliberation room or just a side room from the court. Um, and it was, quite frankly, absolutely superb. Um, when, when Paul's speech slows down in his review, you know it was yeah, really you know good. it's really good. Yeah, you're picking <laughs> that up now. Yeah, no, I uh, I really really liked it. I think the the script is probably one of the finest scripts I've, I've seen committed to screen. Um, it feels fresh today. Um, it doesn't feel like it's made in 1957 at all. Mm. Um, the performances are fantastic. I just it, it's nigh on a perfect film to be honest. It'd be interesting for me to revisit this after having watched the um, O.J. Simpson drama yes. with all that went on in the jury room there, both in the uh, Made in America, the, the documentary, and then yeah. the, the dramatic version with Cuba Gooding Jr. Yeah, it'd be, it'd be really interesting to go back, because I think I watched this when I was probably 17 or something, so, I mean, a few years ago now. So It's uh, worth revisiting, as I said, you know, in certain issues certain issues that are raised in the film, uh, you know, there's there are there are issues of sort of class, there's classism and this kind of thing in there and like a lot of the issues are raised that are still so current today and that's I think what makes it such a timeless film is that those issues are still present. Um yeah, I can't praise it highly enough and would recommend you rewatch it post haste. Right. Um my second pick for this week is um, one that I guess took me by surprise a little bit. It's uh, the film Savages from director Oliver Stone. He of things like JFK and Natural Born Killers and uh, Platoon and on and on, Any Given Sunday. Um, the reason it took me by surprise is because I feel like Savages is near peak Oliver Stone. Oh, really? In terms of the things that I first liked about Oliver Stone, which were the kind of natural born killers, like choppy, gritty, sexy action stuff. This film, um, Savages, is from, I believe, 2012. And it stars um, Taylor Kitsch as the best friend, closest ally of Aaron Taylor Johnson's character. Box office dynamite Taylor Kitsch. Right. <laughs> uh, and... Yeah, see, I don't know much about Taylor Kitsch. What what have I missed? I've missed... He's been in True Detective, I believe. Yes, he was in True Detective, um, Battleship. Okay. And... So that's not his fault. John Carter of Mars. Yeah, okay. <laughs> but again, I mean, those are big behemoths that he's maybe unable to arrest yes. into sort of a position of success. He, Taylor Kitsch, to me here, was pretty good through, okay. throughout this thing. He plays the sort of um, ex-military, tougher, older of the pair to um, the kind of smouldering, long-haired uh, Aaron Taylor-Johnson, but they're both in a relationship with the same woman. It's kind of a three-way relationship that's established very early on in the film. The other point of that triangle is Blake Brown, or 
Blake Lively, as she is now known to people around the world, found out her actual name, Blake Brown. Okay. Um, this film is a sort of a Mexican drug cartel drama, um, action drama. The pair are running a grow operation for the finest weed in all California, but then they get into some hot water with the Mexican cartels because they're sort of stepping on territory and profits that could otherwise go to other more maybe powerful, more violent people. Um, one of the enforcers there is played by Benicio del Toro, so all present and correct in this thing. Salma Hayek plays a, uh, a cartel boss. Uh, John Travolta has a role in this film, not on bad form um, for sort of latter latter day. Uh, John's had a lot, though, is it? But... John Travolta. <laughs> but yeah, I, I just I just thought that there was like enough of a clip to this film and it kept me engaged at a rate that I yeah maybe didn't expect from Oliver Stone because recently you've had a, from Oliver Stone a lot more sort of um, politically charged maybe slightly hand-wringing output like he did that thing south of the border where he went to like interview the W was not very good sure and yeah right so getting involved in the sort of North America South America political scene whereas here yes those things are kind of in the background but they're very far in the background because foregrounded is like gun file violence and drug exchanges and like sexy, so it sounds like, like saturated it shots sounds like he's remembered like how to have fun again it seemed like it to me i mean the guy again is another film director who's crept into his 70s but i wish that we got to see more of this from Oliver Stone because mm. I think that there are few people as good as him at doing it. So yeah, I really enjoyed Savage's lot. There's like a kind of GTA style heist scene in it oh, okay. that is really really well done. Like loads and loads of fun. Um, yeah, Blake Lively, as I say, she's fairly warm and engaging throughout. And yeah, Taylor Kitsch, scary enough. Alan uh, Alan Johnson. Uh, Aaron Taylor Johnson, Johnson from the Labour Party yeah. brilliant Aaron, Aaron Taylor Johnson uh, is, I'd like to see a version with Aaron Johnson from the Labour Party in an Oliver Stone film that sounds amazing let's, let's make this happen keep it political <laughs> but yeah um, I'd, I'd recommend it man I don't think you've seen this yet so uh, no, maybe you should I will check it out talk about it again sometime. I will check it out um, and that brings me to my final popcorn movie which was what you sent me what you sent me as homework that sounded like terrible English I apologise Pete um, which was Get Hard um, the uh, Kevin Hart and Will Ferrell vehicle that mm. I didn't expect to like in the slightest and actually it's changed my opinion I've seen a bit of Kevin Hart stand up and didn't like it at all um, however having watched Get Hard uh, Kevin Hart I think was the best thing in this Pete I think Kevin Hart's fine I think Kevin Hart is not the funniest guy in the world I don't think he's the best stand up in the world but I think he's a very charismatic man who's done incredibly well for himself that, I guess that's where I stand on, on Kevin Hart so, yeah so the central conceit of this is Will Ferrell gets done for fraud of some sort of set up for fraud um is told he's going to go to jail for a very long time and hires kevin hart to prepare him for jail hence the get hard term um you gotta get gotta get real tough to survive yes in that, in that i didn't i didn't think it was amazing i have to say but it was it was likable enough there was some funny set pieces and um yes yeah, it's, it's changed my mind i've warmed to kevin hart shall we say well, so mission accomplished because i don't think this film's very good to be fair but uh, I just set it because I thought then you might get some sort of uh, affection for Kevin Hart, so it seems yeah. like that's worked. So yeah, don't get me wrong, I didn't love it. I'm not going to be in a rush to watch it again, but it was um, it oh, was better I, than I thought it would I, be. I'm not banging on the door to get it in the Criterion Collection. <laughs> I, I just, uh, I, yeah, I just chose any Kevin Hart film almost at random and set that. <laughs> um, you set me not even a film, but a part of a sort of anthology of yeah, films. Uh, a portmanteau, I, I guess we could say, if we were yeah. pretentious twats. Um, <laughs> and that was the Nacho Vigalondo section of VHS Viral, 
which is, I believe, the third, it is the third VHS yes. anthology. Yes. Now, here's my first thing. It doesn't make any sense that it's called VHS at the point of viral, because although they slather those kind of... You know that grain that you get on the screen when the tracking fucks up on yeah. your VHS tape? They slather that all over this. Like, you could have taken 10 minutes off the running time <laughs> if they didn't have as many of those really annoying transitions. But in the year, what what were we here? Like, 2014 when this came out? I think so, yes. What, about that. what are we doing with the VHS thing? I'm not too sure about that. It's, it seems like a... A weird throwback that just doesn't fit with the films. But anyway, the, the Nacho Vigalondo bit is the only reason to really bother with this, I think. It's a story called Parallel Monsters, yep. which is about a guy and his machine. The machine is going to do something we don't know. He's pressing buttons, turning it on. And another man with another machine. And it turns out that these two men... It's quite Time Crimes-esque in fairness, isn't it? The whole... Yeah, it is. It is kind of Time Crimes. the same director, we should say. Yeah. Um, time Crimes-esque. It also is going to remind you, if you've seen it, of Primer because you've got this, yeah, like, kind of nerd in a room trying to figure out what if it actually works, you know, what would happen. Um, it turns out that these two men live parallel lives, or do they? Because, actually, there are a couple of very key differences between the lives of the two individuals and what it is that they walk into when they cross through a sort of gateway between their two apparently parallel lives. Um, from there, it goes kind of crazy Twilight Zone-ish, and uh, there's some very scary genitals in it. Yes. Um, but the kind of freewheeling stuff that you'd expect from a guy who made time crimes. Yes. Which brings me on, and I am shoehorning this in, and I warned you about this. I've now caught up with Colossal, which is the same director's recent cinematic release. Which I really, really liked, and you, I don't think you liked as much as No, me. you. I remember your, your review of it on this here show, you really liked it. I really liked the previously mentioned Nacho Vigalondo stuff, uh, at least Time Crimes anyway. My problem then, Paul, with Colossal, um, this is the um, Anne Hathaway has a drinking problem, turns out that her blundering actions when drunk make a sort of kaiju monster attack the city of Seoul in Korea. I don't feel that the filmmaker and filmmakers were that actually committed to any kind of a study of her addiction um, okay. or in a, like personal demons. And I, I, I suppose that's where it fell down for me because I thought the setup was really interesting. The idea was really interesting. But once she went and met Jason uh, Sudeikis yeah. and he's this like schlubby bar owner guy, I buy that part because yeah. he did virtually the same role in, in Drinking Buddies where he owned like a microbrewery so I get that he's great in that role he's great like knocking back beers late night and, and cracking wise and that kind of thing when he takes that pivot and he's supposed to be a malicious character I won't go any further into that but a sort of malicious character don't buy it at all I think he's way overstretched I think he's kind of miscast mm. And Anne Hathaway does her best with the material, but I think that she's not given enough to do to give me that investment in then the 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 disconnect that we have to what's going on in Seoul. Because there are moments in this film where, for example, the Sudeikis character says, you need to do X, Y, or Z, or I'm going to destroy a neighbourhood because he finds out that he has access yeah. to, to that kind of control the other side of the world as well how on earth am I supposed to buy that that's that character's progression I, I had a really hard time with it I found it like in that sense a little bit irresponsible I suppose yeah I'll give you that I suppose I just think for me part of the reason I liked it so much is because it just felt very different um, and that's why certainly I, that yeah and that's I think why I engaged so well with it I think but it's always nice it's nice to have a, a counterpoint um, and I'll concede it you know I'll concede it's not a perfect film um, and probably on second view I remember coming out on second view and thinking yeah there are 
there's some definite shortcomings there that will yeah. probably stand out once the impact of how differently it was has left me. Yeah, well, um, I'd but... be really interested to hear from, from listeners and other people as well about which way you go, because I think there is a certain area in the film where you're going to go one of two ways maybe depending on how much you've you've gone along with the, the yeah, writing the characters yeah. and and if you went my way i think by the time this thing reaches its its climax it all seems a little bit silly which is not what it's supposed to be doing i, no. I don't believe and if you go another way i can see how it would have if you a, go my way more example, of an impact yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah precisely so yeah a really interesting one to talk about apart from anything else though i think that is um colossal the yes. uh, nacho vigalondo movie that is out in cinemas at the moment which brings us to coming attractions. Um, I'm eager to get this off my chest, actually. So if I may start, Pete, go ahead. Right with you. Um, now I know people who know me will know I go on about how much I hate the Transformers movies and how much Michael Bay stole my childhood away from me, and I hate the Transformers movies, and they are gets the point. Terrible, There's a Transformers terrible, terrible, movie terrible. coming out, isn't there? There's a Transformers movie coming out. Transformers: The Last Knight is out in a few weeks. Time. Is it going to be um, thankfully the last film though? No, what, no, no. There's going to be many, many more. Hopefully, they take them away from Michael Bay, but we shall see. Um, the reason I bring this up. Um, is because because of my love for the Transformers as a child, and you can see just down there, Pete, which I'm pointing to on a podcast, which I'd never do because I can't podcast see that. Thing. Um, <laughs> there's a number of um, Transformers graphic novels appearing there that I've subscribed to. So, anyway, but my point I'm trying to make the point I'm trying to make is going to be really shit. I know it's going to be really but you're shit. Still excited. But I sit there in the cinema, and the trailer came on, and I still get goosebumps because I hear Optimus Prime, Optimus Prime's voice. I'm so excited, I can't even say Optimus Prime. I hear Optimus Prime's voice. It looks like Unicron's going to be in it this time. And then every time I see a Transformers trailer, I get excited. And please stop me getting excited for Transformers films because they're fucking awful. Well, well, I'm going to create a great contrast here because, hold on, I've got to do a voice for this. My uh, my choice, Paul, for uh, coming attractions for this week is a, <laughs> is a film by the title of Stockholm, My Love. Okay, this is better. Stockholm, My Love is the fictional film debut of one Mark Cousins, esteemed film writer. Oh, uh, wow, okay. The guy who created the story of film. Yes. Made into a visual series available, I believe, through the Netflix platform, although maybe not anymore. Uh, this one is... Uh, the, also the acting debut of one Nana Cherry, esteemed How singer. long is this voice going to last for? It's going to last until the end of this section, <laughs> as a counterpoint to your Transformers nonsense. Uh, it's about a woman walking the streets of Stockholm, trying to come to terms with a terrible thing that happened to her one year previous, Paul. One year previous. Do you know how many special effects there will be in this? I, will, I would think zero. We don't need any Transformers to elevate what is going to be a fine piece of work. I think it's about two weeks away. That one is called uh, <laughs> Stockholm, My Love, and I'm excited for it because I think Mark Cousins has a lot of interesting things to say, so hopefully as a yes. as a fictional film director, he's also going to bring the goods. I'm very intrigued to see that, actually. I'd be very intrigued right, to see Right, we're going long, man. We've got to smash straight into a review of, uh, of Baywatch, I think. There's no other else. Uh, no other else. No other else? No other way to go. Baywatch. Baywatch. Wow. Dive in, man. Dive um, right in. So the, uh, there isn't really a plot, is there, to be honest? Yeah, the, actually, rock, the rock's a lifeguard. Having, um, having said we've got to dive right into Baywatch, we have gone Transformers, Mark yes. Cousins' film about Stockholm, then Baywatch. Baywatch it's yes. like we had just a little break on um, the land. There's not really much in. of a plot to speak of in Baywatch. I suppose that the rock runs a team of lifeguards um, 
And it's absolutely a plot. There's Priyanka Chopra and she, there's a business cartel and they're going to buy up all the property on the coast. But the Baywatch team, they're not going to allow that to happen because although yes. they're only Baywatch, they think of themselves as cops and they overstep all the time and they're going to find a way to stop this happening so that they can keep the bay for the people. I think that's basically the plot. You've, done, you've done well there. Um, I, I appreciate that. So you don't like this very much, I don't think. No. Um, it's a... <laughs> I don't think it's quite as bad as a lot of the reviews have been making out. I will I will say that in its defence. Um, but as a comedy for me, it failed on almost every level. And comedy is such a subjective thing that it's almost critic-proof because something either makes you laugh or it doesn't make you laugh. You see, can I take now, a task on this first point? Yeah. You're saying as a comedy it fails. To me, this, to me uh, just me, this wasn't... I'm going to see Baywatch, a comedy. To me, this was, I'm going to see the big screen, big budget film adaptation of a ridiculous early 90s TV show that was both a overblown drama and occasionally funny. So I think the comedy stuff is a bonus. I think you've come here okay. for, for a sort of whatever they're going to produce from the bones of a ludicrous television series that I used to really fucking enjoy when I was a, <laughs> when I was a kid for all kinds of reasons. But yeah... It wasn't funny to you. To me, it wasn't. It didn't make me laugh. I think I, I chuckled twice. No, I laughed. Um, I chuckled twice. As a lightweight sort of action thriller, it was just about passable. But I, for me, no, it didn't. It really, it didn't do anything for me. That being said, I never have really experienced the TV show more than the obvious things where you go, "Oh, look, there's Pam Rands in a bikini." I never. I never sat oh, around as a kid. You never got, oh, no. like, where they have an episode in Baywatch where uh, the Native American man who's been giving sage advice throughout the episode actually transforms into an eagle and flies away. Like, that's the level on which that show Did operates. Did that happen oh, in the absolutely. show? absolutely. Okay. Every bit of, like, ludicrous <laughs> shit you could imagine happen in that show. Right. And I think that's maybe... In which case, I'm willing to concede, then, that maybe, if you are a fan of the show, which you are, yeah. and I'll let you, basically, to let you speak, because may maybe then, uh, okay, as a... F I, Maybe if I'd seen the show originally, yeah, then I, mean, I might you shouldn't, have had a different approach to, to this. To be but. fair, Paul, you, you shouldn't need to. You know, I'm not going to rest so heavily on that as to say, like, go back and watch it and then re reevaluate. No, I mean, this is like throwaway popcorn nonsense. Yeah. And, and it knows that it is. And I think that's why I came out with a fairly positive um, feeling towards Baywatch is because they knew what they were doing. This, to me, came off a lot better than, for example, the Alex Ayer um, Piranha remake that they did and then sequeled and David Hasselhoff showed up in that sequel as well. Like, they seemed to me kind of... Um the wrong side of the line. In oh, terms I, of like, I preferred Piranha, but I would say that Baywatch was better than Piranha 3 oh, Double D. The sequel yeah, is absolutely dreadful, yes. dreadful and just like. Baywatch was better than scene. that, yeah. But um, yeah, I, I liked it, man. For the most part, I did. I, I think, you know, pulling out David Hasselhoff and, um, and Pamela Anderson was like fan service that was really awkward because they look terrible but but it was a nice touch um, like lots of the silliness from the like opening sequence where they have the rock in the ocean and then like uh, the Baywatch logo comes out of the o ocean and you've got like uh, jumping dolphins and stuff like that that bit was good I'll give you that the, the that way, was very early on though the way that they <laughs> that they riffed on sort of Zac Efron being kind of inherently ridiculous and a bit of a failure for most of the film I found quite enjoyable because he's often you know like the guy who's got it all um, uh, Alexandra Daddario was fine in this and fine um, <laughs> yeah I, I just think there was enough to like for me and um, it was it was entertaining and they yeah they just never started taking them seriously so taking themselves seriously I should say so when it ends with this big like firework shootout ridiculously overblown scene it was exactly how to finish the film and to be honest I find some of the the reviews of Baywatch a little bit 
are irritating because I think that some people have come at it, and I'm not talking about you here, Paul, but like some people have come at it quite po-faced. And I guess it's how I felt about um, something like Fast and Furious 8, where I just feel like, what what was it you were expecting? Exactly? I see I, I see your point, and I would agree that I'd say maybe some critics, well, certain, some, certainly some critics will have come at it po-faced. But for me, and from what I saw in the trailer, I was expecting something... I, for me, it feels like, and take the original series out of this, a film you could compare to this would be 21 and 22 Jump Street. Mm. And for me, it was nowhere, nowhere near close to 21 and 22 Jump Street. Yeah, that's what I think they were trying. And that's I just thought of those and thought I'd rather be watching those. Yeah, yeah, that's no, that's where That's where I stand. They're good anyway. movies, and yeah. I'll, I'll co sign on those movies. They're, they're good, but I just I just thought this was fine. And um, also, The Rock is just like, I, I wrote down here, The Rock is a giant muscular charisma fist. I don't really know <laughs> what that means, but, but it's true. Like, the guy, to me at the moment, can do almost no wrong. Put him in anything, and it's passably good and at times really good and yeah this is you know go in knowing what you're going into and I think you can have quite a good time with Baywatch but I th I seem to be in the minority and I don't think it's doing too well at the box office either so no we'll see I would probably um, say don't go in at all uh, but <laughs> yeah <laughs> stay out of the water yes yeah, stay out of the water um, which brings us to our next feature review um, and what is that Pete well, yeah, something we you can't... We know what it is. We've already told them in the intro. Something you can't take anywhere near the water is your uh, your beloved streaming service, Netflix. Uh, they ex uh, secured the exclusive rights to War Machine, which is nothing to do, by the way, because this came into my head, first of all, with that disgraced fighter who beat Chrissy Mack almost to death in the last couple of years. Okay. Because that was his name, and that's kind of an unfortunate um, connection, I suppose. And also nothing to do with Marvel either, because War Machine is True. Iron Man's buddy. Yeah, I hadn't even thought of that, but yeah, yeah. absolutely. So, no, what War Machine <laughs> actually <laughs> is, is uh, David Michaud, 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 I don't know how to pronounce his name, to be fair. If you can't, man, if you're not going to give it. You, David yeah. Michaud. I think go, David Michaud, or, yeah. Let's go with that. You told me about him, that he is the director of... Animal Kingdom yes. and The Rover, films yeah. I am very, very fond of. You're keen on them, and I haven't yeah. seen either of them, so that's a big hole in, in my knowledge of, of what this guy's all about. Going purely off War Machine, I wouldn't well, what's, be... Let's set the scene. That's, what's, the, what's the gist? The, okay, okay. The gist of this film is um, Brad Pitt is uh, General Glenn McMahon. He's the man tasked with revitalising the war in Afghanistan with a sort of inimitable drive and determination, not unlike, might have been seen by uh, or from Jessica Chastain in, in Miss Sloan that we mentioned earlier on. Um, so he's brought onto the scene to a sort of failing effort by the troops on the ground to win hearts and minds and um, turn the tide in favour of the American interest, I suppose. But we're in very much the territory of the uh, romping war satire, which is like right in the relegation places of my least favourite genres of film or <laughs> sub-genres of film. We've seen things like uh, Whiskey Tango Foxtrot recently, did not care for that, with um, Margot Robbie and... Yeah. Uh, uh, Tina, Fe Tina Fey, Tina Fey yeah. Yeah. Um, we've seen things like War Dogs, we've seen things like even uh, Lord of War going back sort of 10 yeah. years or so, I think that's a slightly better film than these, but 
uh, the, even like the men who stare at goats I feel like the, the aesthetic yes, feel kind of, of it yeah. is a bit like that where it's like oh you know this that's is what kinda... I brought to mind for me was the men who stare at goats yeah this is this is kind of like a bit out there and a bit crazy but it's like rooted in real events and like yeah people die but also like look how we're skewering the situation and the politics of that situation yeah I, I mean I'm going into this a bit negative um, because I feel quite negatively about the film Paul what did you think before I get into um it? So there appears to be someone at the door, which is quite good of Sounds them. Like it, man. Um, we'll ignore them and no, they'll we'll, go we'll, away because I need to get my opinion across, we'll, I think, we'll use, on uh, we'll use War Machine, our, don't I? We'll use our next level editing skills later <laughs> in the post. Don't worry about that. Yes. Where's Jack when you need him? Yeah, um, he's, he's, he's on holiday this week, isn't he? But yeah, sorry. Sorry. So we, we refocus after that minor interruption. Apologies, listeners. Um, War Machine. My thoughts. Yes. So, yeah, I don't think I'm quite as negative on this film as you are. Um and I'm not. I don't mind the genre, but I do see your point. Um, but I think War Machine's problems for me is that it's it's too lightweight to deal with such a heavy hitting subject matter. Yeah. Um, and I think it's tonally all over the place as well. I think it, as much as it's enjoyable, I think um, there are ele- there are elements later on where it's quite hard hitting. In fact, I think certainly some of the combat scenes themselves actually do have a bit of poignancy and a bit of weight behind them. But the whole film doesn't doesn't gel particularly well. I don't think. Yeah. I. I mean. I. Hmm. It's a bit of a muddle, really, isn't it? Because you, you mentioned the tone. I mean, it's towards the end in like, the last quarter of the film that we actually get like troops on the ground action, which seems at odds with a lot of what's gone before because it's been largely dialogue-based. Uh, yeah, sort of people talking at other people. Um, but also, the film sort of underscored for two-thirds of it by this voiceover from... Uh, well, I heard it, and I was like, I recognise that sort of honey-gravel sound. And, uh, of course, it's Scoot McNary, my boy. Scoot McNary's <laughs> in this, kind of. Um, but yeah, the, the filmmaker, filmmakers perhaps, seem quite happy to make someone like Scoot McNary a sort of mouthpiece for the way that they might feel about the conflict. It turns out he's like a Rolling Stone journalist who's yeah. been yeah doing his kind of like, well, the situation was at the time kind of stuff in the background. And also later on, we get full-blown filmmaker's mouthpiece of uh, Tilda Swinton standing up at a press conference as I a thought, sort of German reporter. And I thought that moment was great. Mm. I did like. I did think her cameo was one of the best things in it. Well, mainly because it's Tilda Swinton. Yeah. But I don't think you went. I see where you're coming from. You just kind of like, oh, and this is the message we want to make in this one line, rather than the rest of the film making the message. Oh, here's another one. Ah, uh, ah, uh, oh, um, goodness me, uh, the title's completely escaping me. Like our business is war or something like that. Oh yeah, I knew, yes. That might not be the title that I'm, that I'm thinking of, but um, Sandra Bullock was in a film like two years ago that had a similar feel mm. to it. Uh, maybe I'm way off base, but it had a similar kind of like every, I just imagine the cast and crew sort of all patting each other on the back afterwards going like, oh, we've really skewered the Afghanistan war. And to me, like you said, it's enjoyable. I didn't find much of this enjoyable at all because I, I take so much against this like tonal imbalance and this kind of lazy way of dealing with some of the problems that sort of plague the world in the, in the sort of harshest way at the moment that, the other side of it is that if it was a political satire or a, a war-based satire that was genuinely funny, I would let it off not being a sort of weighty, important piece of work. It's not funny, is it? Is anything in this funny? I, I, I mean, Brad Pitt That's doing I mean, a I, funny walk is yeah, sort of... I, I, think, I think Brad Pitt's performance doesn't... I don't think Brad, Brad Pitt seems to... He seems to pick a performance at the beginning. Now, obviously, he is based on a real guy. I'm not familiar with the, with the real general he's based on, so I'm assuming maybe his silly run and some of his mannerisms and stuff are, are perhaps based but on the cares, real general. Though? I mean, most people but won't be familiar just, with yeah, that. 
for me, just the silly run seems bizarre. Um, and yeah, the, the, as I said the film I think has has problems with tone. Whether it is trying to be this kind of either it's trying to be a razor sharp satire or it's trying to be kind of some outlandish kind of silly war comedy. But I, I think it I think maybe it's trying for both and doesn't hit either. Yeah, I mean Brad Pitt's performance it's like somewhere between that Meet Joe Black character he did years ago where he eats peanut butter straight from the jar and then his comic turn in uh, Burn After Reading, like somewhere around there. But it never seems to be rooted in any kind of human being as far as I'm concerned. And maybe that's what we're supposed to learn. And then, and then I've heard written that I, I don't want to give anything away of this you know, vital bit of filmmaking, but the, the thing that happens in the last sequence and the person yeah. that appears in the last sequence. Other reviewers talking about, like, oh, what a wonderful... Cl-. Whatever. Like, that person, for one. And that... But like, I don't understand. What, is that a punchline? Like, is that what, what is that supposed to be a comic beat? I, yeah, th- this thing baffled me. I don't know why it exists. And to be honest, I came away from it as well thinking, like, who gains from this film? Who gains? Really, I don't, as the viewer. You don't seem to have gained too much either. Uh, Netflix gain, for sure. Brad Pitt, sort of later Brad Pitt, I'm a sort of semi-serious filmmaker, gains something here. I don't think there's much point this existing. Is that too harsh? I think maybe I I see where you're coming from. Um, As a throwaway piece of Saturday Night Entertainment, I think it's moderately successful. But that's exactly the problem. But then I agree with you now, and it hadn't come into my mind before, that maybe a film of this, well, certainly a film of this nature, probably shouldn't be a throwaway piece of Saturday Night Entertainment. Because we're so, going to become that yeah. way, aren't we? And, th- and this will be the kind of film that is is just aiding this feeling that we can all sit around in our safe homes here, well away from any kinds of conflict like Afghanistan or Iraq or whatever, and go like, oh yeah, no, I kind of know about that situation because I saw that one where Brad Pitt did the funny run and like, you know, that kind of filled me in on the basic details of, you know, how you can't you can't train these people because Afghani soldiers are, are fundamentally lazy, which is one thing that is positive sort of throughout this movie as well. I, yeah, to, I, I don't know. I, I'm looking forward to maybe catching up with this director's earlier work. Uh, aside from that I don't really take much positive from it at all and um, yeah hopefully the next Netflix exclusive you can never see this in the cinema release might be quite a bit better I'm hoping yeah for me throw away entertaining enough but as I will probably um, concede to Pete on this one the subject matter um, that it covers means it shouldn't be so I probably will come down on Pete's side to be fair um, which Make brings your mind us up. Yeah. Everyone, everyone can watch this I, well if you've got you know yes. Netflix subscription yeah. which I think a lot of people do so it's one that yeah you can jump in straight away it's streaming right now so that brings us to the end of well, almost to the end of the show it just leaves us Pete to set each other homework oh yeah um, now mine will be a pretty obvious connection to what we just talked about and in fact you did Pray say tell. you were looking forward to seeing director David Michel's earlier work um, so I am setting you uh, The Rover starring um, Guy Pearce and Robert Pattinson yeah. which is a little bit Mad Max-esque but not quite as much as Mad Max-esque as everyone thinks it is shall we say right um I am happy to receive that gift of uh, homework. It's it's one of the better ones that you've given me recently, I think. <laughs> Although Solaris is very good, and that was quite recently. Uh, VHS viral, not so much, but yeah, that one bit was okay. I think Solaris makes up for that. Yeah, it kind of does. There's yeah. all worlds apart there. You sent me get hard, so... You true, know. true story. Yeah, yeah I can't really uh, throw stones from my glass house. Um, yeah, looking forward to it. I've been meaning to watch The Rover for ages, um, so great. Thank you very much. Um, I am setting for you, Paul... 
well, tell me if you've already seen this and I can make a, an audible and change it, but um, I caught up with recently the absolutely like, execrable uh, 2005 remake of the John Carpenter film The Fog. There's no need for that to exist, talking of uh, War Machine, no need at all. But um, in that film was uh, Selma Blair. And I started thinking about Selma Blair a little bit, because you know her from like Cruel Intentions and stuff yeah. like that, she broke out. And recently I reviewed that thing, The Intervention, it was a directorial debut. Um, but one of the best things I've ever seen with her in is the Todd Salons movie, Dark Horse. Have okay, I have not seen Dark Horse. I have seen Todd Salons movies, but I've not seen Dark Horse. So okay. So I thought you were going to set me the fog there for a second. No, the, absolutely the, not. Let's not waste remake, each other's yeah. time. Um, there's a limited amount of time we have on this earth. Let's never watch the fog. Uh, everyone listening to this, please heed that advice. Also, though, talking to people listening to this, um, we would suggest that with our homework uh, picks for this week, so we've got Dark Horse from me for Paul, and from Paul for me was The Rover. Correct. Um, listeners who want to watch those in the next seven days will be better placed to appreciate our reviews when they come round in a week's time. So, you know, get involved. Why not? And let us know what you think about those films and how maybe we've missed things or we've, you know, our opinions match up with your own. So, yeah. Um, yeah, and that's about it from us. Um, you can find us on Instagram, Strangers in the Cinema, Facebook, Strangers in the Cinema, basically on social media, Strangers in the Cinema. On Twitter is at Stranger Cinema, so it's a little bit different. Mm-hmm. Um, you can find the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, TuneIn, Stitcher, on and anywhere you can find a podcast, I believe. If you come close to Strangers in the Cinema and interact with us in any way, we will spit out little spores of uh, film-based review entertainment that will go straight into your ears bit like an alien covenant and then will like take over your very being maybe won't rip you apart from the spinal column but you're we'll not s- you're not selling it Pete. You, you've come across as quite weird that's <laughs> <laughs> what i aim for that's what i aim for um yeah no get involved please talk to us about films and that'll be nice for us uh, when we sort of come up with the next however many episodes of this show starting next week with episode 45 yes. on which we'll be reviewing uh, no doubt Wonder Woman uh, we're going to a female only screening of that so um, we should, yes, have, a, we are, should yeah. have a great I don't, think, I don't think we'll get in Pete but we'll give it a go <laughs> we'll give it a go um, and that's it for this week so yeah come back next week for Wonder Woman and probably another feature as yet to be decided um, thank you for listening and we'll catch you next week cheers <laughs>